0: blessing to be with y'all. It's one of my favorite times of year. Spring has sprung. the weather's getting beautiful, and Easter is right around the corner. And Easter is the time we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen right there? Because He lives, we can face tomorrow, and it's because He lives that we do everything that we do in life. And leading up to Easter Sunday and a few weeks after, we're starting a, a, a new sermon series. We're going to be preaching through a sermon series called Last Words. And, and the last words we speak in this life usually indicate the legacy that we intend to leave. One of my favorite theologians is a guy named Dallas Willard. And he taught at the University of California at Berkeley, a very uh, liberal institution and found a way to be a very conservative, Christ-centered professor teaching philosophy, of all things, at the University of California at Berkeley. If you get a chance to read some of his writings, i recommend that you do that. His two last words were, thank you. And that's absolutely the legacy that he intended to leave. This was a guy who lived in humility and in grace. And his last words communicate to us the legacy of his life. In our culture, we write a will, which which is the, the the financial legacy as a rule that we intend to leave, and how we want things to uh, occur related to our estate. And in the Scriptures, we are given the last words of our Lord Jesus Christ as He is hanging on the cross. And we're going to look at these last words, these last sentences, Seven statements that Jesus makes, and we are going to learn from them the legacy that Jesus intends to leave on this earth, and the legacy he intends for us to live out as disciples and followers of him. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to be reading verse 34. We're going, to, we're going to preach through and speak through these last seven statements our Lord Jesus makes from the cross in chronological order. So this is the order that these last seven statements occur in. And Jesus, at this moment in time, I want to take you to this moment. At this moment in time, our Lord Jesus Christ has been absolutely humiliated. He's been stripped down and he's been beaten. He's been led through town, ridiculed and criticized. He's had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He's had nails driven through his wrists and through his feet. And he's hanging in in humiliation and embarrassment for all the world to see. And if he's there on the cross, he utters a few things to his audience that he wants them to hear, that he wants us to learn from. And the first lesson that we want to glean... From the first statement Jesus makes from the cross is one of forgiveness. So let's go to the scripture in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. The Bible says this, that Jesus says to those who've crucified him, to those who've criticized him, to those who have ridiculed him, to those who have abused him, he says to these individuals, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. From this statement, friends, we understand that Jesus wants you to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. Jesus' desire for you is that you live a lifestyle of forgiveness. Let me talk about forgiveness Very briefly here. The first thing I want you to know about forgiveness is that it is not an event. Forgiveness is not a one time event. Forgiveness is a process, it's a journey. And I'm choosing my words carefully there when I say that Jesus' desire is for you to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. Jesus doesn't want you to have a day of forgiveness in your life. Jesus doesn't want you to practice a week of forgiveness annually. Jesus' desire for you is that you live a lifestyle of forgiveness. That you don't view forgiveness as a one-time event, but that you view forgiveness as a process. Okay? Forgiveness, if I was asked to define it, I would tell you that I believe forgiveness is about Trent surrendering over to God the sense of having been offended by another person. Forgiveness is when Trent says, God, I know that you are the ruler of the universe and you are the just judge of all the universe. And I know you know what happens in my life very intimately and very personally. And this individual has caused me pain, and I know you were there, and I know that you saw it, and I know that you were with me, and it offended me. That pain caused me to feel hurt, and I'm going to surrender this pain over to you, and I'm going to give you the responsibility for, for seeking justice on my behalf, and I'm no longer going to harbor the sense of having been offended by another individual. That's forgiveness. When I surrender to the God of the universe The just judge of all creation My pain And say you do with this what you need to do God I'm not going to harbor this against anybody ever again That's forgiveness And if that's what forgiveness really means Then forgiveness doesn't mean it involves anyone else Other than myself and God Sometimes friends it's true that I need to forgive someone Who's already passed away And if that's true, the good news is you don't have to go to that individual and work out forgiveness with them. You just need to surrender your sense of having been offended over to God. It just has to involve you and God. Forgiveness also doesn't necessarily imply that we become friends with individuals that have caused us pain. But forgiveness does absolutely imply that for the rest of my life, those things that have caused me pain... I no longer harbor against others, which would otherwise poison my spirit and my mind. And so I surrender that hurt over to the just judge of all creation, the God of the universe. And I say, God, you know my pain. You were with me when it happened. And I trust you to deal with this hurt. I'm not going to be the harbinger of justice in this situation. And I'm going to surrender it over to you and let you have it. That's forgiveness. And in this verse, Luke 23, 34, God speaks to us clearly about three things. I, I, I want you to look at these three things. That is the three principles of forgiveness. And I don't want you to look at it as, as three good ideas about how to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. I, w- I would have said irrefutable, but I couldn't fit that on the uh, overhead slides. These are the three laws... Of forgiveness These are the three irrefutable laws Of forgiveness They're not some thoughts on forgiveness They're not some good practices Related to forgiveness They're not principles related to forgiveness These are laws If you don't practice what Jesus preached to us In the first statement he makes from the cross Then you cannot live A lifestyle of forgiveness That's how I feel about these And I believe these are self-evident truths as we practice these three laws of forgiveness in our daily life We will, through the Spirit's empowerment Develop the capacity to live a lifestyle of forgiveness And we'll see over and over prove time and time again That these are the ingredients required To live that lifestyle for the rest of our life And the first law is, is wrapped up in the first word That our Lord Jesus utters from the cross And He says, Father The first law of living a lifestyle of forgiveness is that you have to live in communion with the Father. You have to live in communion with the Father. The first word that comes to the mind of Jesus Christ in His moment of greatest pain, His moment of greatest agony, His moment of greatest tribulation is Father. That's who he cries out to in the midst of this shameful, humiliating situation. Father! If we're to scan Luke's gospel, we'd find in Luke chapter 2 and verse 39 a secret of Jesus' communion with the Father that we need if we're going to understand how to really live in that same kind of communion with God. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, the worst thing that can happen to a parent happens. Jesus' parents are in Jerusalem. They leave. About a day later, they, they, they think, where is Jesus? And they're looking everywhere. They're anxiously, frantically searching for Jesus. Three days later, they find him in the temple. And Mary, his mom, is like, how could you have treated us this way? We've been searching for you. We've been looking for you. We didn't know what was going on. How could you have decided to stay and not come with us? And now that we finally found you, Jesus, I want to know how could you have done this? And he says in Luke 2, 49, I had to be in my father's house. I had to be in my father's house. I didn't want to be in my father's house. I didn't happen to be in my Father's house. I wasn't accidentally in my Father's house because I went with some friends and didn't really know where they were going. I had to be in my Father's house. For our Lord Jesus Christ, communion with the Father was not optional. It was essential. For our Lord Jesus Christ, communion with the Father was not optional. It was essential. I had to be here because God is everything to me. It's essential to me to have this kind of communion with the Father. This is where I had to be. Let me just tell you really briefly. I feel like I am at the coolest point of my parenting right now in my life. We got an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 4-year-old in my house. And I've got these kids totally snowed. They think I'm like cool and, and likable and can, like there's nothing I can't do. And especially my eight-year-old son, like he is almost magnetically connected to me at the hip. Here's an example. This weekend I was coaching a wrestling tournament in Shreveport And a lot of times I have to get up and, like, go handle an issue or there's something wrong with the deal. And so you go talk to the coaches at the head table, which is removed from the mat you're wrestling on. So we got 12 wrestlers, you know, sitting, waiting to wrestle. And I'll get up and I'll go to the head table and I'll be talking to the guys at the head table. And I'll turn and walk back to the mat that we're wrestling on. And who's right there beside me? My eight-year-old. And he's just kind of hanging there, you know, twiddling his thumbs, like, looking up at me and looking at the head table and looking up with me. Looking up to me and looking at the head table. But he, he craves to be around me. He, he's hungry for it. He has to be around me. It's, it's like oxygen for Him is what it seems like right now. And the level of communion that Jesus had with the Father was the same type of communion that a young child has with a good parent. That child has to be around the parent. They don't want to. They're not mistakenly there by chance. They don't just happen to be there. They have to be there. They have to be there for security, for support, and for stability. It's almost like they depend on being relationally involved with a good parent to stay alive. And all all of us, when we first surrender to Jesus Christ, experience that same kind of of childlike hunger to be relationally in communion with the Father all the time. But then we become spiritual adolescents. A lot of us do. You know what happens then. Some of you have lived through that as a parent. And when I'm preaching and I'm living through that, I'm going to be preaching like all depressed and sad because my kids aren't connecting me at the hip anymore. But when we become spiritual adolescents, we kind of have the answers. We don't need the Holy Spirit to illuminate things to us we don't need the holy spirit to guide us we already know the answer thank you very much and we're going to do this when we get to it we got minds of our own and thoughts of our own. and, and we have trouble living a lifestyle of forgiveness in our lives because we have lost our childlike relational dependence on god the father And no longer do we have to be around God because He sustains us. Sometimes we're just around God because it's convenient for us to be around God. And not only is Jesus' being at the temple because He has to be there relationally, it's because He has to be there behaviorally. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. And some of us want to love God and be familiar with His Word and spend hours in prayer and read the spiritual blogosphere and feel like we're all equipped and empowered and recharged. But we don't want to behaviorally do the things that are required to live the God-filled life that God demands of us i get the relational piece down but i'm disobedient in terms of the behavioral piece and jesus is saying to both i have to be around my father and i'm going to do what my father demands for me to do it's not just relational it's also behavioral and if you don't start living in that kind of communion with the father then the painful hurtful stuff that's still within your heart will never be fully surrendered to god because you're not able to do it since you're not in communion with the father Jesus goes from there. He says, Father. And then the next phrase, surely he's going to utter is, I condemn these heartless people because of what they're doing to me. No, that's not what he says. He says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. The second law of living a lifestyle of forgiveness is that we love with reckless abandon. The second law of living a lifestyle of forgiveness is that we love with reckless abandon. This is the kind of love that Jesus practiced. You know, they used to make those wristbands. I'm sure they're still available. And they have the, the acronym WWJD on the wristband. And I like the concept because it gets our minds thinking about what Jesus would do in any given circumstance, WWJD is what would Jesus do? I'm always more interested as a preacher and a teacher in not what Jesus did, but how Jesus did it. My, my, my band would say HDJDI, how did Jesus do it? Not what would Jesus do. How did Jesus love the way he loved Well first he's connected to the Father Relationally and behaviorally And then he loves with this reckless abandon And and what I'm meaning by that Is that he loves in a completely self-sacrificial way That's the love of Jesus In Luke chapter 6 he's talking to us about this In the 27th verse He says if you're listening to what I'm saying If you're listening to me Then I want you to know this, that you should love your enemies, love your enemies, and do good to those who hate you. What does the love, the reckless abandoned type of love of Jesus look like? It looks like a person who is so selfless, they could want the best for someone who is doing their worst to you. That's what the kind of love that Jesus loved with practically looks like. It's the kind of love that says, even as you do your worst to me, I want the best for you. And the best Jesus has to offer is forgiveness. And so he offers these same individuals who are doing their worst to him the very best he has to offer. He says, I'm going to give you everything I can here, even though you're giving me the worst you have to give. I love you enough to say, I forgive you. And I've often wondered why this verse... For me, this is like uh, the crux of of the life of Jesus. Like it all boils down to this. And I'm wondering why this isn't like on billboards and t-shirts and and, and is a slogan. The reason why, you guys, is this is really, really hard to do. If we're really going to do it, it's very difficult to do. I, I get to work with lots of couples... And I can't tell you the number of times a spiritually mature couple will look at me and say, Trent, I have forgiven my spouse of this wrong they have committed against me. And then six months later, when things get crazy and tension increases, that wrong that they had supposedly surrendered to God and forgiven their spouse for committing comes back up in the conversation they're having, and if it turns out they hadn't actually forgiven it, they just stuffed it way down deep and tried to stop feeling anything related to that experience. That's not forgiveness, friends. That's avoidance. And that's where most of us are at in our spiritual walk. We're not good at practicing the selfless, reckless love of Jesus and instead are getting real good at, at, at practicing the cultural avoidance that allows us to just numb out a little bit of the things in life that are uncomfortable. And Jesus is saying, no way. You've got to be in communion with the Father close enough to depend on Him relationally and behaviorally for everything. And you've got to then love the way He loves with selfless, reckless abandon. Where you could say, I want the best for people who are doing their worst to me. And let me say this, I, as I was praying about this and thinking about this, I thought, man, sometimes it's easier to forgive the people out there that have hurt me, and it's hard to forgive my own self. And this is going to sound weird, but I feel old, older, and some of you are like, dude, you're a young guy, you ain't, what are you talking about old? Let me, let me just say this very candidly to you. The older I get, the more I beat myself up for the mistakes that I've made in life. Because as I get older, those mistakes, consequences, become more profound. The older I get, the more I beat myself up for the mistakes I made earlier in life. Because as I age, the more profoundly I understand the consequences, those earlier life mistakes cause me to experience later in life. So it seems like as time moves on, it's easier for me to beat myself up for my own shortcomings. And I might be very well versed at forgiving those who hurt me, but sometimes I find it very difficult for forgiving my own self. And my challenge to you this morning is twofold. The first is that you love others with the same kind of reckless abandon that Jesus demonstrates in his love for others. And second, that you love your own self. And I, I don't want that to sound like pop psychology. But I'm really serious about that, guys. I think in our, in our culture, we can do a better job of beating our own selves up than we ever would of beating up somebody else. And I want you to show that same kind of love to you that you'd show to anybody else across the face of the earth. That's the second law of living, a lifestyle of forgiveness. First, you've got to live in communion with the Father. Second, you've got to love with reckless abandon. Last thing I'm going to mention to you this morning is you've got to to look through the eyes of the Father. You've got to be able to see through the eyes of God. If you're really going to live A lifestyle of forgiveness Throughout the teachings in the New Testament Jesus refers to this inner Spiritual life That you can't see In Luke chapter 11 He's given a teaching on this And he says this in Luke chapter 11 verse 35 See to it Then that the light within you Is not darkness See to it that the light within you Is not darkness This is This is Jesus teaching us about the reality of an internal spiritual life that we cannot see. And this is where the Holy Spirit is essential in facilitating our ability to live a lifestyle of forgiveness. Friends, there is more going on in this world than your eyes can actually see. And if you get too caught up in what you can see, then what you can't see will stay invisible to you. And Jesus was a master at this. So much so that when He's on the cross, He can look at the people who are humiliating Him, who are abusing Him, who are criticizing Him, who are crucifying Him, and He can say, Father, forgive these guys because I can see what they can't see and I know that they don't know what they are doing. Jesus understood that there was a life that was, that was in existence in the world that people couldn't see. And it was, a, it was his ability to look past the skin and see into the soul that helps him to say, they don't know what they're doing. These guys just don't know what they're doing. Man, it gets so Easy. When we're in as I was as I was praying through this, the truth is that to the extent we feel pain, we get wrapped up in the physical world. To the extent we feel pain, we get wrapped up in the physical world. In other words, the more pain you cause me, the harder it is for me to see through your spirit to through yourself into your soul. And the more pain you cause me, the more difficult it is for me to not be able to see into your inner reality that there's a spiritual reality to the world in which we live. And so if you're going to be successful doing this in the moments of your greatest pain, then you've got to be in communion with the Father, and love with the kind of reckless abandon that comes from God consistently day in and day out. So it's your moment of greatest trial, and it's your moment of greatest tribulation, it's your moment of greatest test... You can see through the pain into God's purpose. That's the the key. The eyes of God the Father can see through the pain into God's purpose. But you can't have that kind of eyesight if you're not practicing the first two laws consistently before you get here. And if you're practicing them consistently, then don't lose ground when you're that close to the finish line. What I like about what Jesus says in Luke there is he says you've got to make sure that the light in you is not darkness. And that's your same responsibility today. You have to make sure that you're living a lifestyle of forgiveness. And for lots of you, you're not. Lots of us are just stuffing it down and trying to pretend like it's not there. We're not actually surrendering it and loving recklessly and looking with the eyes of the Father. We're just stuffing it, trying to avoid it. And Jesus would say, it's up to you. Make sure the light inside you is not darkness. And make sure the lifestyle that you're living is one of forgiveness. And that's the challenge I want to end on today, church. If that's where Jesus starts from the cross, if that's the first part of His legacy that He wants to lead, is that you live a lifestyle of forgiveness, then that's the first place I want you to gut check tonight. I'm going to close in a prayer. If you're harboring things in your heart, if the enemy's using those to poison your spirit and your mind, then my prayer for you this morning is going to be that you can come forward and get loved on and encouraged and surrender those things to the power of the Spirit of God. Bow with me while we pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to teach in this church. I thank you so much for the people here that are faithful, God. I thank you for your spirit that empowers us in everything that we do. I just ask that those who are in that place where they need to live a lifestyle of forgiveness would be empowered to do so this morning. There are some that are in desperate situations and need to take the the, the step of, of coming forward and responding and laying that at your feet today. I pray for every need in this auditorium, and I ask that you'd empower all those to respond that need to. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.